Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's Sales Talk Podcast. Diving deep into the world of sales and entrepreneurship by interviewing top leaders and influencers from around the world so you can overcome obstacles and achieve success. And now, here's your host, international best-selling author and business expert, Anthony Garcia. Catapulting Commissions family. What's up, team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. So here's the deal. If you've been with this show for a long time, thank you. I love your listening. If you're a brand new listener, welcome. Be sure to click that subscribe button. Now, we have talked to numerous guests over the years on growth, sales, personal development, building your brand, marketing, etc., on how to grow in the sales and entrepreneur space. Here is a special topic that hits really close to home. Let me tell you about our guest and tell you a little bit about what we're going to talk about, and we'll bring him in. Brett Berry was a Hall of Fame President's Club winning sales rep and has been a top producing sales leader in multiple industries. He's also the author of The Selling Edge, How to Reach the Top in Any Sales Industry. His newest book, Promoted, The Proven Path to Career Advancement, is available for pre-order right now. He's a baseball enthusiast, a fitness junkie, happily married with three kids, lives in the greater Sacramento area. And for more information, we're going to give you all the details, how to connect it with Brett. But for the time being, Brett, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Glad to have you here, bud. So uh, Catapult Commission's family, I got to be honest with you. I have had guests that have we spoke about their books and, and different things. Brett, I actually had an opportunity to read the entire book uh, pre-launch and, and share Brett some of my feedback. So one of the, it hits close to home to have him on the show today. So let's, let's really jump in this, right? So you wrote a book, The Selling Edge, a couple years ago. Come book around, second book around, promote it. The Proven Path to Career Advancement. It, if someone's listening to this show right now and is like, ah, you know, I'm a salesperson or I want to grow in my career. And, and you know, they're probably going to be the ideal person that benefit from this book. But let's, let's get the idea out of this, right? What's the premise behind the book and why did you bring this book to market? Yeah, no. So when I write books, uh, I think of where I was 12, 13, 14 years ago at that time. And the premise of this book is exactly that, of where I was back in 2008, 2009. I was at a point where, like you had said, I had been a top producing sales rep in multiple different industries, was looking to make the transition to leadership, uh, but I was having a tough time making it happen. And I wish that a book like this existed back then that gave me a very clear roadmap I could follow, that gave me much needed advice that I hadn't gotten at that point in my career. And, uh, and had I had that, I think I would have been in a position that I've been at uh, a lot faster. So that, that's really the impetus for writing the book was uh, so that people that are in that position that I, where I was at 12, 13 years ago, so they'd have this opportunity to, to get this information in front of them. So, you know, let's, 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 if you don't mind, Brad, I'd love to be a little bit more transparent. Where were you at 12 or 13 years ago? Like, you know, you don't have to name the company, but kind of give a little background, what the industry you're in, what your job was and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So I, I had, I had done at that point, five years of, of high level, you know, B2B and B2C sales, uh, you know, previous company we worked for together. Uh, and at that point I had been in the medical device industry as a top performing sales rep for three to four years. I'd won a couple of presidents clubs, uh, and you know, was go things were going well. Uh, I was running a top producing territory. 
but I wanted to do more. I, I really, I, I saw the value in and the benefit that I could bring to the company and other people by being in a leadership role. Um, so that's really, that's where I was. I, I was a medical device sales rep and looking to make that transition into management. Oh man. I'll tell you what, Brett, the reason your this book hits close to me and, and, and you, you and I had a similar background in that capacity, right? We worked for a previous company to, the same company many, many years ago. Uh, I was in that same role, right? I think I was four years for a medical device company uh, as an individual contributor, did very well, and then got promoted into management. And I'll be honest with you, there's really no roadmap, at least at the time, there wasn't a roadmap on how to get promoted. And there's a lot of things that we don't think about in terms of building this brand or, or building yourself prepared to be promoted. And, and one of the lessons that, that I took from your book, you, you talked a lot about, uh, you had a VP, someone give you a harsh conversation that you weren't quite ready for, for management. Um, can you kind of share a little bit on that story on, on that path to management? Because many managers, let's be really clear. Here, many companies will promote a sales manager because they're a good individual sales rep. And their onboarding or training program for managers really is substandard. And in my opinion, what makes a good sales rep doesn't always transition and translate to being a good manager. So let's talk about that conversation when you first expressed interest in management, kind of got, you know, you know, for lack of better words, told you weren't quite ready just yet, but you had, you had some things to still prove. So can we elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so I had applied for a couple management positions at that time. And uh, my old AB, AVP uh, of the West, Charlie, uh, when he called me to let me know I didn't get the job, uh, you know, obviously I was disappointed. But what I did is I took that as an opportunity to try to get feedback from him in terms. And, and ultimately, I ended up networking up the chain in the same way to get feedback from these senior leaders as to why were the people that were getting promoted? Why were they making the decisions that they were a good choice to lead sales teams? And then what was the gap area? Where, what was I missing out on? Or what were the skills or habits that I hadn't shown them that I had yet so that they felt comfortable putting me in, in that position? And, uh, and then fast forward you know, a few months later, and I talk later in the book around a national sales meeting back in 2009 uh, in Florida where I ended up having three very key conversations. Uh, one was another one with Charlie. The second one was a conversation with our VP of sales at the time, a guy named Alan, awesome guy. Uh, and then our VP of human resources. And I walked away from that national sales meeting. It, it was like the light bulb went off where it, it, I started to see little sprinkles of what the things were that I was missing. And one of them was exactly what you said just a minute ago, Anthony, was, uh, a lot of the top the things that make a top salesperson successful, some of those skills translate into management. Of course, you, you know, knowing the business and being able to to know what it takes to to sell in a particular industry, obviously, those are that's very transferable. Uh, but there were other components that went into leading a team that were ideas that I had never been exposed to yet. Um, and a few of them, you know, one was the biggest thing was Alan asked me. He said, you know. I don't want you to tell me this right here, but for me to support you moving forward and us investing in you in terms of leadership development, all that, I got to be sold on why you want to go into management. 
first place. Uh, you know, management, the responsibility is a lot more. Uh, you don't necessarily make more money. There's actually a good chance you can make a lot less money <laughs> than you're making now as a top <laughs> rep. And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of situations that you're going to be put into that are going to be very difficult, very hard to navigate. And, and it's not easy. It's not straightforward. Um, so before we support that, I want you to have an eyes wide open approach and have an understanding of what it's going to look like, what, what that life is like. And once you know that, if you're still on board and you still want to do this, you come to me and you tell me the reasons why, and, and then we'll support you, you know, investing in you in leadership development get you some opportunities to learn these skills. Um, and to me, I thought that was that was some of the best advice uh, that I've ever received to this point is uh, is having an understanding as to why I wanted to make that move. And then obviously you know, from there, the dominoes started to fall into place. Well, well, one kudos to you, you know, Catapult Commission family. I hope you get the book, the links in the show notes, but I, I love, you know, the humility, right? You're there's, I don't know if you, I don't know if, I, you know, I don't know if this was your attitude then, but the way I read it in the book, it was almost like there was, a, I don't want to say a level of entitlement, but almost like, Hey, this is the next career projection. I've put up the numbers, you know, I should be next batter up and, and your AVP kind of pushes back on you, uh, which I think is, is awesome because, you know, the world of, of management, uh, you know, you said something right now that really kind of hits a chord with me, right? You don't, necessarily make more money in management if you're a top sales performer uh i you know that wasn't really communicated to me when i moved into management i took a two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar pay cut year over year to move into management had a cool title <laughs> worked way more uh so it definitely kind of was a was eye-opening but you said that you had to find the reasons why so you know Brett, a little on your background, we didn't dive too deep into it, but you've been in, in management and leadership roles now, you know, for various different organizations, you know, startups, large companies. What were some of those reasons why you wanted to make that transition to management? And then let's go on the, on the inverse. Someone's listening that wants to get into management. What are some of the reasons you think that, hey, this probably isn't the right reason or a good reason to want to move up into management? Yeah, no, great questions. For me, it was I wanted to contribute at a higher level. Uh, I've always had, uh, you know, growing up, I, I grew up playing sports, played played football and baseball my whole life, played baseball in college, uh, was always the team captain, really enjoyed being in that leadership uh, position. But what I really enjoyed about it wasn't the aspect of being in charge. It was the overall influence of helping other people and seeing other people succeed. And so that was really, you know, the biggest thing for me is I felt like I, I had achieved a lot in terms of an individual contributor as a salesperson I had done in a couple different industries. And, and I knew that I had checked that box. Uh, I found that and I felt that I was going to have a greater level of fulfillment, being able to empower other people and help coach them and coach a team. And, and then the other aspect of, of knowing that I can contribute to a company at a higher level, that that was really important to me, knowing that. Uh, although I had done well in my own individual territory, the opportunity to run a region or, or you know, run, run a department across the whole nation and the effect and the impact that could have, not just on the company, but more people within that company, those are really attractive to me. And I think you know, the second part of your question is, you know, when is it not a good idea to, to get into management? Um, I think... Well, one, if those aren't your approaches, <laughs> the first two things, then that's probably a leading indicator. 
but I think there, you know, there are some people that are just better cut out to be individual contributors and there's nothing wrong with that. And I know a lot of people that have been uh, individual sales reps their whole career and have done extremely well. And, and, you know, sometimes that works best to them. I think, and I talk about this in the book, there's some different things you need to take into consideration when you consider if making a move into leadership is right for you. Uh, one is uh, you're not going to have the same level of control as you do with your own individual territory. When you think about it, if you're in a, a sales leadership position, you're going to have anywhere from seven, eight, 10, maybe more people reporting to you. And 99 plus percent of the time, you're not going to be with those people when they're doing what they need to be doing for the company. And so you need to be okay with that, knowing that uh, you're going to have to hire people, you're going to have to train them, you're going to need to support them along the way, but you're also going to have to be able to rely on them doing what what they need to do to accomplish their objectives. Uh, I think, you know, another key component that a lot of people don't think about, the income piece we talked about, it, that for sure is a factor. Uh, if you have your own individual territory, you kind of have a good level of control to some extent over your income. The minute you have eight to 10 people reporting to you or more, you know, that that level of control of being able to, to pull a lever or two and influence your compensation uh, it, it's not it's not as clear cut as that, obviously. And then I think the other thing is, you know, from a lifestyle standpoint, it, you know, travel. What are the travel requirements? Uh, if you're going to move into a management role, especially in medical device, there's probably a, a decent amount of overnight travel that that's going to factor into that equation. Maybe not quite as much post COVID as there was before COVID, uh, but it's going to be a factor. And so. To me, uh, I would really think through what's your home situation like, it, you know, or, or you know, if you're married, if you have kids, uh, who's going to take care of the kids when you're traveling? Are you going to be able to travel? What's that flexibility look like? Um, and then I think, you know, there there are considerations that you have to take into account that are specific to the company you work for. And what are the expectations that the company and the bosses above you are going to have if you transition into that position? Because that and that's going to differ a little based on, you know, the company you work for and, and you know, how they operate. But uh, to me, I mean, I think those would be the, the key things that you really want to think through long and hard before making the decision. And, and if, if those boxes are still checked and uh, all, all is green, then, then go for it. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, hearing this conversation again, reading the book was surreal to me because hearing the conversation live surreal to me, I I there was a lot of things you just said right now that I definitely resonated with when I was still in corporate. I mean, the hotel travel, you know, it's something that's not, you mentioned it, Hey, account for it. Um, and I gotta be honest with you, Brett, like I had to learn how to do that. You know, I was in my last role and I wasn't a corporate role and, you know, I was covering majority of the state of California and Hawaii. I mean, I was spending 115, 140 nights a year in a hotel. Um, yeah. have a family. It definitely, my marriage took a little learning curve to, to get to it. It was, it was rough. And then when COVID came, you know, it took a learning curve to get back to the opposite where I was always home. So there's definitely, you know, some, some challenges there. You have to really ask yourself. So that, that really hits with me. The one thing that I didn't, let me rephrase this. I knew, but I didn't know how serious it was, was as an individual contributor, for the most part, 
You know, I mean, I hit my number every year. I never missed my number. But if I had a bad month or a bad quarter, you know, you have your conversation. And like like you said, I had control. I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. I knew what was going on. I knew where I had to go spend time. I knew where to, where to, where to pump, pump the oil at to get, some, to get some growth. When you're in management, the level of accountability in my, my experience was so high where it was like, yeah, I am accountable. And I, I think in my, in my highest headcount in that space, I had nine people. And I was like, oh, I'm accountable for all nine. We didn't hit our number. And you're flying me back to corporate to me to explain why we didn't hit our number. And I, man, I, I'm here standing in front of the bullet. Like, I got to take it. So that was, that was the, definitely, uh, you hear about it. But when, when you're taking accountability for a poor performance or a slow start, that hit me hard. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a, and, and you bring up a, a good point. I think there's a lot of things come up in management where, you know, no one's ever talked to you about this or, or you don't know that that's going to be a part of the job, or maybe you don't know it's going to be look exactly that way. And that's a great example. Uh, and I think that's, you know, what I try to do through the book is go through it and really highlight, uh, you know, a lot of these things. I talk about the, the responsibility factor of uh, in leadership. Uh, you know, nothing's, nothing, nothing's necessarily, uh, your fault, but it is your responsibility to fix it. And ultimately that's what companies are looking for that the higher up the ladder you move. Uh, yeah. And, and they care about people and they care about personal situations and challenges. And we all have that. Uh, but the, the objective of the job doesn't go away. The, what the board is expecting in terms of the financial performance of the company, that doesn't go away for that CEO, uh, regardless of what's happening, you know, personally with the people under him. And so, you know, I think it's a great point, but, and, and you do have to know that the higher up the ladder you get, the, the higher that increased responsibility is going to be, uh, which to me is, is why it's, it's that much more important for people to really be prepared for leadership positions and be excited about them and, and if you're prepared and you've gone through good training and you and you know that this is what you're going to be expected, it's going to be expected of you and you know what to expect, uh, then I feel like it's it's a much better experience, obviously, and uh, and it's more enjoyable as well. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely. I think the expectations uh, and knowing what you're getting yourself into uh, do transition to a, a great loving management career. Uh, you know, there's something in the book you talk about in chapter two, and you talk about intentionally building your brand. And I got to be honest with you. I go back, you know, I, like I said, Brad, this book, you were writing it. I felt like you were writing it to me when I was still in my corporate life. I go back to building my brand. And I don't think I did a really good job at building my brand to get into management. As a matter of fact, I know I didn't. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to intentionally build your brand as an individual contributor to be ready for that next step in management? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I did a horrible job too. I mean, I wrote a whole chapter about it in the book. I did such a bad job early on. And I think it's an easy trap to fall into too. When you think about it for most salespeople, most salespeople, especially if you're a high producing salesperson, you're getting, you're making a good income. You're getting a lot of awards at conferences. You're you know, the VPs and the CEOs and people are coming up, you know, shaking your hands saying, hey, you're doing a great job. Thank you for what you're doing. And I think, you know, in some ways it almost gives you that that sense of that, you know, you can't do anything wrong. Um, but I'm going to pivot here and ask the question now. 
would the CEO be comfortable handing you the keys to the company? And, you know, obviously in terms of a skill level or experience level, that you know, not in that way, maybe not. But what I, when I say that, the real question is, in terms of your character, your responsibility, uh, how you pr- portray yourself and the way the company needs to be portrayed at a corporate level, do those things all align? And for me, early in my career, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I was that salesperson. I was the party guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I... Uh, shut down every happy hour was, you know, I felt like that's what went along with sales, right? Is, is, uh, you know, the happy hours, the the good times. Um, but what I didn't realize is when I did go to make that transition to management, I had branded myself as the fun party guy and not as, Hey, this guy is incredibly responsible. This guy cares about our people. Uh, this guy is going to represent the company well, and not that I couldn't do any of those things, but it was a big aha moment when I realized that I hadn't. Um, and so I think, you know, if I were to give someone advice that's listening to this and it's really serious about going down that leadership path, this is a piece of advice I wish I would have gotten earlier on. I mean, and I wish someone, clearly people realized that this was the case, right, with me. And I wish someone would have said earlier on, look, hey, you're branding yourself in a way that that is leading you down this path. And if you want to go down this path that's more of a leadership path, you can still be fun and you can still, you, you know, have a drink and, and obviously be social with people, but you need to learn how to, how to convey yourself and, and present yourself in a different way. Um, so I wrote a whole chapter about that. And, you know, there's some fun stories about when my wife and I first got married and I lost a bunch of weight and a bunch of doctors and coworkers that I worked with thought I was sick <laughs> because I showed up like a completely different person. And the reality was I wasn't going out for happy hour three, four nights a week. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's something that I couldn't stress to people enough is to really be mindful of, you know, how do you, how do you need to be perceived by the people above you? Um, and, you know, and I wouldn't say, don't be someone you're not, don't fabricate anything, be who you are, be believe, be, you know, believe in what you believe in, but really be mindful. Of, of how you present yourself and, and, you know, what that looks like to others. Yeah. It's uh you, you mentioned the happy hours. I know you talked about it in the book and, 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 and there, there's some national uh, sales meeting stories. I mean, I look at my career and I'm like, man, dude, you know, I wish somebody would have pulled me aside earlier. You know, you, you, you talk in the book a little later in the book, you talk about finding a mentor. And I'm thankful I had a few people pull me aside, but I think the damage had been done, right? It was, it was a reputation that was challenging to get over. So uh, if you're, if you're listening to this catapult to commissions family and, and you're in that position, you know, my college roommate's dad, right. And my college roommate passed a couple of years ago, but his dad, uh, we we're at a wedding. We were like young, and his dad comes up and he was like, listen, boys, enjoy the show. Don't be the show. And I was like, you know, you laugh and you're like, years later, I'm like, man, I wish I should have had that mantra with me as I moved into, you know, my, my corporate career. Cause yeah, you, you can definitely ruin, in my opinion, you could ruin your, your chance at advancement or, pro, or promotion at one national sales meeting, at one regional sales meeting, at one happy yeah. hour, uh, just by doing the dumb stuff. Yeah, no, and I, I'm incredibly grateful that I never, uh, never made any career limiting maneuvers or anything like that, that that got me in trouble with HR or anything like that. But, um, but definitely, <laughs> you know, I could have branded myself a little bit better early on, and and it would have gotten me on the radar as senior leaders much quicker. All right, 
I yeah, I'm with you on that, man. Kudos, I, I good for you. And I know I I always joke I dodged a few bullets, so I'm I'm you know, but there's people who aren't fortunate enough. So uh, yeah. yeah, definitely get take take that from the book, right? Build intentionally building your brand. Uh, another thing you talk about in the book is, is is kind of identifying and building a roadmap, right? Like and saying, hey, this is what I want this to look like. Can you talk talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think this is where one of the areas where leadership development really falls off. I think, uh, you know, and I go through and I think most people, you know, a lot of people do a good job of putting up the numbers, getting on the radar, stating their intent, letting people know they want to do other things. Uh, but the, the actual roadmap to look at how do what are the skills that are necessary for the next role that I need and, and that I want to get? and where are the gap areas that I need to address? And then how do I get the experience, one, to develop the skills, but the other piece is to show the senior leaders above me that I have those skills and that promoting me into this next position is not a risk. It's a logical decision and, and that makes sense. And so, um, you know, in producing a roadmap, I, I mean, you really have to look at what are what are the things that that are going to be required in that next role that gives you that experience? Um, and the example I use in the book actually is one of my daughters is a ballerina and has been. She's a ba- been a ballet dancer since she was three years old. And she's 15 now, is flying all over, getting tons of opportunities. And she's fantastic. And her school that she dances at, they're great. They do a ballet recital every year and they put on, I think, seven or eight shows over a three or four day period of time. And it is so dialed in. I mean, the music, the lighting, the dancers, the costumes, it is a production. And they practice all year for that. And when you think of management and people moving into other roles, how many people get a year or two of practice or essentially a dress rehearsal, a year or two year dress rehearsal, to get ready for the next role. And in creating a roadmap, you know, that's really what I mean is you got to talk to your manager and, and talk to those above you and uh, really find out hey, what are the skills and what are the activities going to look like? So if you're a sales leader, obviously hiring people, that's probably the most important thing you're going to do. Right. And so I think if there's any opportunity for you to be able to sit in on interviews, interview candidates uh, with your boss, I and mean, that, that piece differs a little bit company to company depending on how much people are hiring and, and what that looks like. Uh, but any opportunity to help evaluate candidates and learn about that piece, I think is, is huge. Uh, secondly, how to run an effective team meeting. One of the things that Leanne talked to me about, our VP of, of uh, Human Resources, when we sat down at that national sales meeting, was really the success of a team it really comes down to the culture that's created by the leader and how supported the people on the team feel that the leader supports them. And one of the ways I think where managers either go do really well or do really bad is in how they, how they lead their team meetings, how engaged are they? How positive are they? Do they get people talking? Uh, Do they, are are they, do they let people share concerns openly in an open dialogue? Um, And then, you know, do they really try to help provide solutions and, and show people what best practices look like? I mean, all these things, anyone that's run a successful team, knows that these are the types of things you have to do to run an effective meeting. Uh, but a lot of people don't get the practice of doing that. And so for me, you know, when I was VP of sales a couple of jobs ago, uh, our managers, 
they ran the team meetings and people that wanted to get into management. That was one of the things that I, I had them do very early on is got them involved in that process. Um, you know, and then I think being able to give and receive feedback is such an important thing. Uh, becoming a field sales trainer, I, I think, you know, just thinking through logically, if you're a medical device rep or if you're a sales rep in any industry, usually most companies have some type of a field sales trainer program where you can mentor newer representatives and, and help in the training process. Um, and to me, the biggest value of that is not only in teaching, but also in really getting good at giving feedback to people and giving it in a way where it's well-received to where the person will, will take that feedback and will take action and do something different that's going to give them a, a better result. Um, I found a lot of times, you know, when sales teams, when things go bad, it's because the manager gives the feedback, but it's not given in a way that's received by the teammate well. And so they end up not taking it or they don't listen. Um, and I think those, those three areas in terms of just creating a roadmap are so important. Um, and that was the biggest thing that changed for me it is once, once we had those hard conversations, I was getting a new manager at the time we sat down and he was a very experienced sales leader had been at the, you know, the VP level before. And we sat down, we created a roadmap somewhat similar to what I just mentioned. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it helped me get that practice and, uh, you know, adding a leadership development program or potentially an MBA or advanced training, anything like that, I think is really important as well. Anything you can do to help educate yourself on what the next job's going to look like in the bigger picture. But yeah, I think, you know, roadmap is, is essential and staying accountable is a whole other piece of that too. Yeah. You know, in, in reading, in reading your approach on the roadmap, it really takes the, we don't accidentally get into management. Like it doesn't happen by chance, right? It really is like an intentional do this, do these steps. And, and, you know, the kicker here, we can, and, it's not always guaranteed you're going to get there, right? So that's uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a real how I look at it when we do some of that stuff. It's a real chance to see, hey, is is management for me? Because you're going to do a lot, maybe go unnoticed, maybe got not get recognized, and maybe not get the job, right? But you're still going to put in that work. Um, so I, I love how you talk about the roadmap here. We have we have a few minutes left, Brett, and and I think this kind of ties into you know kind of some of the things you talk about the roadmap and I'm sharing with you that, you know, it's not always guaranteed. And, and I think you would agree with me on that. There's no guarantees you're going to get promoted, but you finished the book talking about becoming off self and on purpose. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So this is actually an old, uh, an old RVP of sales that we both used to work under. You used to say this, all you need to be successful is to be off self and on, uh, and on purpose. And, you know, I think we got what it meant, but, for me, there were a couple aha moments where it dawned on me that this is this is the ultimate like you know what you really have what your mindset has to be to be successful in management. Um, in the book, I talk about uh, at the end of the leadership program that I had participated in. Uh, it was before I think the next year's national sales meeting. All of the C-suite had all of us participants come in the night before, and we had to give a big old presentation at dinner in front of all of them. So there's this group of, you know, 50, 75 people. It's the CEO, all of the VPs, a couple of the board members of the company, intimidating audience to try to have to present in front of, especially as a sales rep at the time. 
And, uh, and I remember getting up to the microphone and I don't know why, but they had me go last. I guess they thought I was going to wrap it up and tie it all together or something. And, uh, and I go to get up to the microphone and speak and literally nothing comes out. And, uh, and, and like my voice, like I couldn't get the words out. And, uh, and then I remembered, I was going to start with the, the quote by Cal Ripken. And then I just decided, all right, I'm just going to let this rip. And I said, you know, so Cal Ripken played in 2,632 consecutive baseball games, literally 18 years, never missing a start, played shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. And after that, I mean, that's a record in sports. that's never going to be broken by anybody. I think most people would agree. Uh, but at the end, you know, at the end of that streak, one of the reporters asked him, how were you able to do this? And he said, I've gotten really comfortable being uncomfortable. And I said to the audience, I said, as you can tell, I'm operating under that mindset right now. And literally they, the whole room just erupts in, in laughter and it, it literally settled me and it dawned on me in that moment that, all right, you know, I'm actually not giving this presentation for me. I'm giving this for them. I'm just the one that's delivering the message. And I think, you know, in terms of management and leadership, sometimes, sometimes, you know, that is a really good way to think about it is it's, it's not about you as a manager, but everything is on you. It is your responsibility. It's your responsibility to deliver the message. It's your responsibility to, you know, to develop the team. It's your responsibility to, for the team to perform for the company. Um, and so I think, you know, when you operate under that mindset, I think there's a couple key things that start to happen. Uh, one, you're going to be far more prepared. Like if you can show up prepared for meetings, prepared for whether it's a team meeting with your team, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting, if you know it's not about you, you're going to spend the time to prepare. Your mindset's also, you're going to go into meetings not thinking about yourself and how you can benefit from it, but you're going to go in asking, how can I help this person? How can I help this situation? What's the objective here and how can I help facilitate that? And I feel like, you know, when you go in with that mindset and the focus isn't on you, it relaxes you a little bit and it lets you operate with a clear head. And you know that you're you have an important role here that extends far beyond you. Um, also, I think, you know, I talk in the chapter uh, on that point about learning how to remove yourself from the equation. This is something that and I give a pretty good example where, you know, as a sales leader, I would have sales reps and managers that would come to me with ideas all the time. And they were fantastic ideas. The only problem is uh, the idea typically would benefit them and may not benefit everybody else. <laughs> and if you're a VP of sales, obviously you're trying to create, you know, assets and things and, and, and that are going to benefit everybody. Um, and so I, you know, I, I use the example of a rep that had reported to me one time and I said to him, Hey, all right, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go, go home. Great idea. It was a marketing piece. He thought we should develop that. Um, they did have some merit, but it would have just benefited him at the time. I said, go home. I want you to take yourself out of the equation and think through everything the marketing has that they need to contribute that they, what they probably, what their responsibilities are this year. And if you remove yourself from the equation and it still makes sense to everybody else, bring it back and we'll, and we'll talk about it. And so he came back and obviously he had, he had adjusted it a little bit. Um, and we did take it to marketing. Uh, but I feel like a lot of people like that's something where if you really want to connect with a senior leader and I'm talking like VP level, CEO level, 
your ideas need to be solutions that can help the whole company and help them with their objectives at the scale of the problems they're trying to solve in that magnitude, that will get you on their radar. Uh, if you bring them solutions that, you know, when they dig into it, if it only helps you in the moment, uh, that's not that's not going to align with, with the way that they're looking at things. And then I think mm-hmm. the last thing, you know, when your focus is off yourself and on purpose, it forces you to think about always doing the right thing in the moment. And uh, I coached high school baseball for a long time up until just a few years ago. And we literally had two rules for the team, two rules. That was it. Rule number one was be on time. Rule number two was do the right thing. And I think, you know, most people, they understand both of those very well. And the only time that number two seems to falter is when people put their focus back on themselves and not on what's the overall purpose that we're trying to accomplish here. Whether it's a family, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a, a, a team in business, whether it's a company, when your focus is off of you and on the purpose of what we're trying to do for the greater good, good things happen. Kudos to that, my friend. Uh, yeah, off self, on purpose, it's, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I've taken to heart in, uh, you know, in management, if you're an entrepreneur, catapulted commissions family, this has to hit you off self on purpose. It may not about being doing the right thing or being on time, but when you're running your own business, I mean, off self on purpose is everything because it holds you accountable to do the stuff that, you know, sometimes isn't as enjoyable. Um, and another way where, where I found off self on purpose hit me, Brett, is being a parent. Like, yeah. like you know, that that is, you know, you and I, we will both talk, you know, we have girls like it's it's. It, there, you have to be off self and be on purpose to be a parent. So appreciate that, man. Uh, so Catapult Commissions Family, the book, promote it. It's available for pre-copy right now. Um, Brett, where's, what's the website and the URL and all the fun stuff where the Catapult Commissions Family can find the book, put their pre-orders in and all that stuff? Yeah, so a couple ways you can you can contact me uh, and find, find my work. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, my name, Brett with one T and then Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E. That's the handle. Uh, so if the listeners want to go and check out my profile, click the bell. I do post a lot of sales and leadership content there as well. So, uh, you know, if they want to follow my information, that's a great way to find me. Um, obviously, my bio, there's a link in my bio that links right to the book and, and any of my other stuff as well. Um, and then my website also, brettberry.com. Uh, I publish a sales and leadership blog on there as well. So um, I'm pretty easy to find online. But uh, yeah, if people, if they like what they've heard here and, and want to pick up a copy or two of the book, I, I'd be greatly appreciative. And, uh, and if they like what they read, please uh, leave a review on Amazon. But, you know, as a self-published author, that helps me more than anyone would ever know. So. Well, Brett, I'll tell you what, man, you definitely got some book sales from the Catapulted Commissions family. And those links, Catapulted Commissions family, it's right there, brettberry.com, B-R-E-T-B-A-R-R-I-E.com. You also have the link to, to Brett's LinkedIn. Brett, we appreciate you jumping on the show, man. I think this is a, a topic that needs to be explored, and I appreciate you sharing this within the business community. And Catapulted Commissions family, we're at that time of the show. You know what to do. Be sure to go get connected with Brett. Subscribe, like, let us know your thoughts, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Catapulting Commission's Sales Talk Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Anthony Paul Garcia. Until next time.